0: Well, turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is the account of what we've just been singing about today. We're going to be starting in verse 1 and going through verse 8. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. That is the the train of his robe. Above it stood the seraphims. Those are flaming angels. Each one had six wings. With twain or two he covered his face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly. And one of those angels cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door shook or moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject The King is dead. Long live the King. Father, in the precious name of your Son Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we're asking you, Lord, to touch our hearing today. Yes, Lord, touch my lips. And dear Lord, touch, I pray, oh God, our hearing as we hear the word. Lord, remove every impediment, Lord, to your communication of the scripture to our hearts today. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. If you are grateful for the word of God, give the Lord Jesus a hand clap of praise. I'm going to read some dates to you, and I want you to see if anything comes to mind when I read these dates to you. July the 4th, 1776. What's that? Okay, April the 12th, 1861. That was when the Civil War began. It's December the 7th, 1941. That was the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which got us involved in the Second World War. How about this one? November the 22nd, 1963. Kennedy was assassinated. July the 20th, 1969. Anybody know what that was? I was just a couple of months old. Anybody know? It's when we landed on the moon. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. How about this one? September the 11th, 2001. These are all dates that were life-altering, life-shaping dates, dates that as uh, uh, December the 7th was uh, uh, described by FDR, dates that live on, and he said that date would live on in infamy. Then we have dates that are more personal to us, like the year that I got married. I'm going to ask all the husbands what year you got married. Say it out where your wife can hear it. What what year Daddy said, what year was it, Isla? He just he just looked over there. The year you got married. Unfortunately for some people, that date that they remember is the year they got divorced. Some people remember the year that their first child was born. Some people remember the year that their child finally moved out. Some people remember the year that their child moved back and brought the youngins with them. I wonder in generations to come and in years to come in our life what we will say when somebody mentions the year 2020. You know, my, for, for years, I've looked forward to 2020 because I knew that my first child would graduate high school in 2020. And yet, for the rest of his life, when his children ask him, if he ever finds a wife, when his children ask him, what year did you graduate, Daddy, he'll say, it was the year that the coronavirus hit. A lot of things going on in our day in 2020, and the corona is just one of the things. Boy, it has been some kind of year. In fact, somebody said, I wish I'd taken Mama up on her offer when she threatened to knock me in the next year. <laughs> We tie experiences many times to their contemporary goings on. Isaiah was experiencing what was up to that point the greatest revelation of God, the greatest vision of the majesty of God looking into the throne room of heaven. And seeing this supernatural transcendent God sitting on the throne. He was sitting on the throne and he was high and he was lifted up. And yet Isaiah dates that. He ties that into what was going on in his life at the moment. Now you would think that this great vision of God would overshadow everything. But he says... I saw the Lord high lifted up in the year that King Uzziah died. He tied it to what was going on in his day. Now, I think that there's a couple of reasons for this. One, I think simply, he was indicating a specific year. He was letting the people know that what happened to him was not a whim, it was not just a dream, it was not just a figment of his imagination. It was not just something that he came up with for dramatic uh, purposes. It wasn't just evangelistically speaking. It was a real experience that happened at a real point in time. It was the supernatural invading the natural. It was the metaphysical invading the physical. He said, I remember when it happened. And he said, I remember where I was when it happened. I was in the temple, that was the place. In the year that King Uzziah died, that was the time. It reminds me of that old song we used to sing, I can take you to the place, I can tell you now the time, I can take you to the place where the Lord saved me by His amazing grace. And I cannot tell you how, and I cannot tell you why, but He'll tell us all about it in the by and by. How many can go back to the place and remember the time that you saw the Lord high and lifted up and He saved your immortal soul, if so, wave your hand and say hallelujah. It was a historical reality. But I think it was more than that. I think first of all, the year that King Uzziah died had significance to Isaiah because it was personal. It was very personal to him. Isaiah was probably, many people believe, that he was the first cousin to the king. He was part of the royal family. I, I, I saw that this Saturday, President Trump's brother died, 71 years old, Robert Trump. And I know how you know, Trump appears to everybody and comes across you know, like, like he doesn't care about anything and he's got contempt for everything. But he still loved his brother. It's still personal, even to the President of the United States, when your brother dies. It was personal to him. It was someone that he loved and admired. It was a family member. It wasn't just the king, it was his cousin. It was personal, but it was also national. You know, spiritual experiences don't take place in a vacuum, spiritual experiences do not take place just out there on a blank sheet. They happen in a life context. They happen when something's going on in life. And so nationally, it was significant. Let me just, if you'll take your thinking cap for just a moment, let me talk about Uzziah. Uzziah rose to the throne when he was 16 years old. Probably for the first several years of his reign, he reigned as co-regent with his father. The last 10 years of his reign, he reigned as co-regent with his son. But in all, he reigned 52 years as the king of Judah. And he was a good king for the most part. In fact, he is listed as, uh, other than Solomon and Jehoshaphat, he is probably the third most prosperous king king, of the period of of the rules of the king of Judah, his was one of the very most prosperous. In the early part of his reign, guided by Zechariah the prophet, he was faithful to God and he did that that was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was creative and and, uh, had ingenuity. He created machines or found those to create machines that would go on the corner of the walls and launch Uh, machines that would launch arrows and machines that would hurl stones. He uh, conquered the Philistines. He did something that Saul couldn't do. He did something the judges couldn't do. King Saul couldn't do. Even David couldn't do. He conquered the Philistines. In fact, Gath, where old uh, Goliath was from, he tore their walls down, utterly possessed that city. He conquered the Arabians. the, uh, The ancient enemies of Israel, the Ammonites, he, uh, he caused them to actually pay tribute to them. He refortified the country. He reorganized and reestablished the army. He engaged in agricultural pursuits. He was an able ruler and an active ruler. And his name, his fame, his reputation spread across the earth, even into Egypt. He was, by all accounts, a very successful king. But something happened in the 41st year of his rule. Because he had had such unequaled and unbroken success, pride lifted itself up in his heart. And he took upon himself responsibilities that didn't belong to him. He said, I'm a great king, maybe I'll make a great priest. And so he entered into the temple. And instead of the priest doing what God had charged them to do to burn incense to God, he took the censer in his hand and was going to burn incense to God. And Azariah, the high priest, along with 80 other priests, according to history, withstood him and said, it's wrong for you to come in and do what God's charged the priest to do. And it angered Uzziah so that the historian Josephus says that when Uzziah was going to retaliate against these priests, an earthquake shook the temple, even creating a fissure in one of the walls. And the sunlight, as it streamed through the wall and landed on Uzziah, he was instantly struck with leprosy. And the Bible tells us he was struck with leprosy. And this king was driven out of the temple and driven out of the palace and made to live out in his own house away from everybody. And his son had to become the ruler, the, the, the uh, co-regent with him because he that had had such a reputation for glory and honor, that little bit of folly had caused him to be separated and cut off. It is a terrible thing, a grievous thing when our heroes fall. Can I tell you that out in the public sector, in the secular world, I don't have many heroes left? I remember when I was a little boy, I enjoyed getting up on Saturday morning and watching Fat Albert. Hey, hey, hey. And you know who was the creative mind behind that and voiced those characters? Bill Cosby. And then when I became a teenager, I used to love to tune in to NBC on Thursday night and see America's Dad, Bill Cosby. He had the answer to everything. Even when Theo decided to get an earring, he knew what to do about it. And through the years, I always looked up to him. He was well-educated. He had a doctorate in education. He was articulate. he was very, very funny. He also had some practical common sense things to say about life. And then I'd found out for his entire career he had been drugging women and molesting them sexually while they were unable to do anything about it. He is spending his last days on earth in prison. Another hero has fallen. I used to love, even though I'm a a Georgia Bulldog fan, I always rooted for Penn State because I loved Joe Paterno. Joe Pump, Because he was old school and disciplined. Loved the clean program he ran. Until I found out that one of his friends and former assistants had a, a camp that he used their facilities for and he used it as a guise to molest children And it seems that when Joe Paterno heard about it, he thought he was protecting the college by turning a deaf ear to it. They tore down his statue in front of the thing he gave his life to. He died in absolute shame, rejection. I won't say it's name because he's still an active minister today and if the Lord's forgiven him, that's good enough for me. And I wish him a lot of success, but I'll tell you that back... In the 80s when I was growing up there was one preacher that you didn't miss a Sunday morning watching him. And when I first started preaching I wanted to preach like him. I wanted to play the piano like him. I wanted to sing like him. I remember when other evangelists and Christian personalities failed, I said they won't find anything on him. Wrong. Caught him with a prostitute. Another hero fallen. Pride was Uzziah's downfall. February the 4th, 2020, doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago, February? Feels like we've lived a thousand lifetimes since February. February 4th, 2020, President Trump stood in the joined both houses of Congress on the floor of the House of Representatives and gave the speech uh, the State of the Union speech, and everything he touted, everything was just going up coming up roses. The economy was up, jobs were up. seemed like he had the mightiest touch. Everything was gold. And I thought to myself, he'll go back in in a landslide. He seemed unstoppable. But six more months before he made that speech, on August the 20th of 2019, a man by the name of, of Wayne Allen Root sent out uh, or said on his radio show, he said, you know, to the Jews in Israel, they love Trump like he's the king of Israel. They love him like he's the second coming of God. So the next day on the 21st of August. Rather than reject that, Trump retweeted that and thanked Root for his kind words. When I heard that, I was grieved in my spirit. I remembered what happened when they said about King Herod, his voice is like the voice of God and he accepted that and worms ate him from the inside out and he died. Fear came over me. Now look where we are. That was August of of 19. Look where we are, August 2020. One year later. So nothing can stop them. Nothing but a little bitty old virus that you can't see. Nothing but riots in the street. Nothing but violence. You say, you think Trump won't go back in or will to go back in? I don't know. You think all this is happening because of that? I don't know. I'm not telling you why things have happened. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Boy are we in a mess. When Uzziah died Jotham became the king apparent and he was a wishy-washy weak leader. The reforms and the gains and the spiritual revival that all was happening under Uzziah began to unravel. For 10 years, you had a weak, impotent king in exile and a weak, impotent co-king on the throne. And Isaiah said, that's the kind of mess we were in when I went into the temple. My hero had had." For 10, 11 years, been laboring under the judgment of God with leprosy. His weak son on the throne, things were going so good, and now things are going so bad. And Isaiah and the rest of the country wanted to know who's in control? And I would ask you that today who's in control? And to whom are you going to look? You look to the political right and you see greed and arrogance and hypocrisy. You look to the political left and you see rebellion, lawlessness, and perversity. Who's in control? What are you going to look at? Who are you going to look to? Things were out of control and then Uzziah died. Am I the only one that feels like that something precious had died in America? I've tried to identify my emotions and I've I have thought that the emotions that I had was was worry or anxiety but I'm identifying the emotion that I'm experiencing now and it's grief. It's grief. Something precious has died, out of control, and the hopes that we had dashed, dead, and gone. But it was in that moment that Isaiah said, I went to the temple. And when everything was out of control, and the things that I loved were buried in a Judean tomb and." fading away into dry bones. In that moment, I went to the temple and I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. This sermon could very easily be called Seeing God in the Time of Crisis. The king is dead, he said. That was a fact. Doesn't do any good to hope things are better, to pretend things are better, to bury our heads in the sand. We've got to face reality head on, look it in the eye and say it is what it is. The king is dead. You remember when Joshua was charged with going into the promised land and conquering the promised land and Jericho, God looked at him and told him the truth. Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. But as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, they said, let us bury the dead first. He said, let the dead bury the dead. Come and follow me. We've got to face the reality that things have changed and may never be the same again. But when things on earth change, That doesn't affect what happens in the throne room. The one on the throne has not, will not, cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. No variableness with him. No shadow of turning with him. He's undaunted, unmoved, unchanged by the circumstances of life. But Isaiah wasn't unchanged. Isaiah wasn't unmoved. It might not have affected the throne room, but it affected Isaiah. It affected the nation. And I'm reminded of what they say in Europe when a head of state dies. In the same breath, here's what they say. The king is dead. Long live the king. They don't even pause. They say one king is dead, but there's another king that's alive. The king is dead, long live the king. And in verse 1 he said, in the year that King Uzziah died. But in verse 6 he said, I, mine eyes have seen the king. And I want you to know that the king is dead, but long live the king. He's still the king of kings. He's still the Lord of lords. Not only is he alive, but he's high. He's lifted up. God is not wringing his hands in heaven. He's not wiping his brow in heaven. It doesn't mean that he's unconcerned about your circumstances. It does mean he ain't worried about your circumstances. He's concerned, but he's not worried. He's not anxious. God doesn't have to take a sleeping pill because he don't sleep anyway. Right? And he's not awake because he's worried. He's awake because he's in charge. Not only is he high, but he's holy. Now, if you want to know what our problem is in our kind of a day, it's that not only the world, but the church has lost a vision of a holy God. I read read a Facebook post. It was something that somebody reposted. By the way, before you repost something, you might want to make sure you read it and understand it before you repost it because they might not be saying what you think they're saying. I saw a, a Facebook post that a pastor's wife put out and it was bragging about a woman that said, I'm one of them Christian bad girls. And I understand the whole spirit of the thing was that in our past life people have done things that are wrong and sinful and all of that but they've been forgiven and God can still use them. That's great. But it ain't nothing to brag about. It ain't nothing to thumb your chest and say yeah, I'm one of God's bad girls. I'm going to tell you We're living in a day that unless somebody tells you they're a Christian, you ain't got enough evidence to find it out on your own. We go the same places the world goes. We watch the same things the world watches. We talk the same way the world talks. We walk the same way the world talks. We think the same way the world thinks. And we think that anybody that preaches against sin is just old, crotchety, or judgmental. But I'm going to tell you that we serve a holy God. And he says, be holy for I, the Lord, am holy. And I'm not talking about you and your own ability living good enough. I'm talking about you having an experience that Isaiah had. That a vision of a holy God serves to sanctify and change who you are. And that's the only thing that'll do it. But it will do it. And I don't care how much somebody tells me. They know about God, see about God, think about God, experience God. If their life is not a holy life, they have not seen a holy God. We've got to get back to holy. I'm going to tell you, you can stand up in most churches and preach that God was a sack of potatoes and get by with it easier than standing up and preaching that sin, sin. You know why? Because we think church is all about making us feel better about the sin that we're living in instead of challenging us to draw close to a holy God that in love and mercy will save, forgive, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't need an uplifting. We need an undoing. We don't just need just another emotional service that will uplift our spirits. I love coming to church. Fellowship, songs, music, jokes, an inspirational message, a little cathartic time around the altar to cry about what bothers you or to get an emotional charge but we leave unchanged because our emotions have been excited. And we saw the preacher, but we didn't see the Lord. We don't need an emotionally uplifting service. We need a spiritual undoing service. He said, I saw the Lord And when I saw him, I said, woe is me. Chapter 5. In chapter 5 of Isaiah, five times he said, woe is you. Woe are you, woe are you, woe are you, woe are you. Woe, 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 woe are you. And I find that there are many godly people that are spending a lot of time looking at the world and saying, woe are you, woe are you, woe are you, woe are you. But when Isaiah saw a holy God, he said, woe is me. I'm undone. Because I've seen, listen, the angels didn't cry one to another, powerful, 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 even though God's powerful. They didn't cry merciful, 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 even though he's merciful. They didn't even cry, love, 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 even though God is love. They cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And he said, I saw him. And when I saw him, I saw myself. And he confessed his sins. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Why unclean lips? He didn't say, I'm a man of unclean hands a man of unclean feet, a man of unclean thoughts, a man of an unclean heart, a man of unclean ears. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I think the reason is, is because what God was calling him to do was to take his lips and to share God's message. But he was limited in the sharing because his lips were unworthy. He said, I have unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, I'm going to confess something to you today. I have a cursing problem. Now, I don't have a cussing problem. I don't cuss. I don't use profanity. But I do have a cursing problem. When things get to going bad, I curse life with the things I say. When I don't feel like I'm doing what I ought to do, I curse my own self. I curse America. I curse the church. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look at what James said here. James 3, 9, talking about the tongue. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. How many times do you curse your children? You say, you know, out of fear, maybe you got a, a family member that's, you know, pretty rough and you say, well, you just like your Uncle Joe. How about this? How many times you get in an argument with your spouse and you say, you always do that. And they may have done it twice. <laughs> do you understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about cursing people? Not cussing, but using this mouth to speak death instead of life. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. You can speak life or you can speak death. Matthew 12, 36, 37, but I say to you that every idle word that men may speak they will give an account of in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified or by your words you will be condemned. I pastored a little lady, she was up in her 90s She had uh, two son-in-laws that were retired state overseers. She was a fixture in that church. And one day we were uptown, and I saw her and her daughter. And her daughter, she had a walker, and on the walker it had a little pouch in the front of it. And her daughter was taking her walker and loading it, folding it up, and loading it in the trunk. And out of that pouch fell a little travel-size Kleenex packet. And I said, Sister Axie, you dropped your cigarettes. And she said, you know, Pastor, we're going to give an account of every idle word. I said, yes, ma'am, you're right. I looked up that word idle. You know what it means? Lazy, unemployed, barren, slow, without work. That we throw language around that's not productive. It's not causing anything to grow. It's not accomplishing anything. We just throw it around. You know, there's an old proverb, it's not in the scripture, but there's an old Indian proverb that says, Every word that we speak ought to pass through three gates. At one gate, the guard asks, Is it true? At the next gate the guard asked, is it kind? And at the last one the guard asked, is it necessary? I wonder how many words I'd have left if I let them pass through those three gates before we got out. Somebody said, I don't think before I speak, because I like to be as surprised as everybody else what I say. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, we've got to stop cursing and start speaking blessings. And speaking life. You say, I don't, when I look around, I can't find anything good to say. I found something good to say. Speak the word of God over your nation, speak the word of God over your home, speak the word of God over your church, speak the word of God over your children. He said, I'm unclean. And the angel came with a coal from off the altar, touched his lips. He said, my iniquity is taken away and my sin is purged. He said, the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Hard to do. I had a friend of mine say say one time, he said when he was a a child, he found out, discovered the... the, uh, power of forced perspective. He said the preacher would be in the pulpit. And he said, I held my thumb up, and I could still see the preacher. He said, but I slowly kept bringing my thumb closer and closer and closer. And he said, when I got the thumb close enough, I couldn't see the preacher from my thumb. My thumb was bigger than the preacher. COVID-19. Riding in the streets, a mess of a political system, trouble at home, your perspective of the things that are going on in this world can hide your view of a holy God. And somebody says, can't you see the trouble we're in to which I say, can't you see the Lord is on the throne high and lifted up? What are you looking at? Praise the Lord. Would you stand and raise your hands to the Lord today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Just begin to praise Him right now. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the name of the Lord. Halobosheteki Praise God. holy God. Praise God. Praise God. Wonderful God. Wonderful Savior. Merciful God. Dr. Mark Rutland said that he had a a missionary friend. He said, for some reason, I always wanted to go and see Mount Everest. And he said, I was sent to a missionary conference. And it was right near Mount Everest. And I made plans to go. And when my guide picked me up, he kept telling me, now it's a lot bigger than you think. He said a fog had rolled into that part of the world. He could barely see how to drive, and I, I was so disappointed, I didn't think I'd be able to see Mount Everest because of the fog. He said, then we got there, and we walked up to the platform, and I stood there, and he said, now... Look and you can see Mount Everest. And he said, I strained my eyes and through the fog and through the clouds, way out there I saw a little peak. And I said, I think I see it. And the guide came over to me and put his hands on each side of my head and turned my eyes upward. He said, I told you it was bigger than you think. I looked up and I saw Mount Everest high above the clouds, above the fog. Right now you and I are looking through the fog of the confusion of this world and we're just trying to trace the hand of God that maybe way out there I can see. But listen, Jesus said when you see all these things coming on the earth, Lift up your head, for your redemption draweth die. He's bigger than you think. Lift up your eyes to the one that is high and lift it up. I'm going to open this altar. And I'm going to tell you, I know that we've got health concerns. I get that. Wear your mask. If you don't have one, put your sleeve over whatever you need to do. But I'm going to tell you, you've got more important concerns than just your body. You've got your spirit. And we need to have a time of intercession and prayer to call on God and say, Lord, let me see you. I want to leave the crowd so I can go back into the crowd with your message. But I can't do that until I see you, till I hear your voice, till you touch my lips. And when that happens, I can say, Lord, I'm right here, send me.